and welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode on the baffling disappearance of the Millbrook twins. But before we get into that, I'm going to pop it over to Rachel, who will be highlighting our missing person for this week. Rachel? This week, I'm highlighting the disappearance of Maxwell Brashnowitz. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Maxwell is 26 years old. He was last seen in Washington, D.C. on July 31st, 2023. He was last seen in the 2200 block of Massachusetts Avenue Northwest. Ryan is a 5 foot 9 inch white male with blonde hair and blue eyes and he weighs about 185 pounds. He was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, gray sweatpants, and gray and white Adidas slides. If you have any information, please contact 202-576-6768 or 202-727-9099. And we'll be posting a picture of Maxwell on our Instagram at smalltownmysteriespod. Thank you, Rachel. So yes, at Small Town Mysteries Pod, we'll have a photo up as soon, uh, well, the day that this episode releases, we'll have that picture up for you to check out if you live in that area. Thanks, Rachel. And now I'm going to pop it over to Christine. Christine, I've never heard of this case. I don't think a lot of people have heard about this case, sadly. Yeah, it, it's it, it's unfortunate when people haven't heard of a case because it means it didn't get a lot of publicity in the traditional sense. But this is one, I don't know, I'm going in completely blind. So yeah, I was able to find some information about it. It is kind of one of those cases that does have pretty limited information, um, like a Google search on the news section of Google will bring you to probably like one page of articles. And even like on that one page, the last few are starting to not even get related to the case. But There was an Oxygen series done on this case, so that gave me a little bit more information, Um, so I'll talk just a little bit about that, but pretty limited, and that Oxygen series I think actually was born out of a podcast that covered this case and really like revived it in a sense. Interesting. Yeah, so today, as Kate said, I am covering... Uh, the disappearance of the Millbrook twins. So their names are Danette Latonia Millbrook and Jeanette Latrice Millbrook. They were fraternal twins from Augusta, Georgia, and they disappeared on March 18th, 1990, when they were only 15 years old. So first of all, not even going to attempt to sugarcoat this because Augusta is just a straight up city, but I just really wanted to cover this case and it's been on my like on my list because I have an ongoing list of cases I want to cover that either I haven't gotten to yet or that I feel like are more recent and I need more information before I can cover them. And it's just been on there for a while. So I I wanted to do it. I'll allow it. <laughs> so yeah, Augusta population around 200,000. Georgia's third most populous city known for hosting the Masters, which if you don't follow golf is a golf tournament. Um, each time. I know that. Excellent. So Danette Millbrook was, like I said, 15 years old. She was described as a quiet girl who was a peacemaker. Though she was quiet and described also as a homebody, she was said to be very friendly. 
She loved doing cheers with her sisters outside, picking blueberries, and watching reruns of Punky Brewster. She was a freshman at Lucy C. Laney High School, and individuals there described her as being responsible and reliable. Her sister, Jeanette Milbrook, was also 15, so twins. That tracks. (laughs) Um, She was described as a good girl who was also very quiet, very kind, loved her family, and enjoyed spending time with them. And they came from a very large, tight-knit family. Getting into their disappearance. So on the day of their disappearance, the twins walked to the local Christ Presbyterian Church on Laney Walker Boulevard. After church, which they went to with their family, they walked to Church's Chicken, which was around 15 minutes away from the church, and they got food there for their family. When... Danette and Jeanette returned to their house. They told their mother, Louise, that a man in a van had followed them for a portion of their walk. Nothing else was discovered about this man. Okay. Later that day, the twins walked to their godfather's house so that they could borrow money for a city bus that took them to school. After they got $20 for the bus fare and some extra money for snacks, they went back to their cousin's house and asked her to walk back home with them. However, their cousin's mom did not allow this because her mom was like, it's too dark for you to go with them. I don't want you to go this late at night. It wasn't even apparently that late, but it was just getting to the point where it was starting to get dark and she didn't want her daughter to walk in the dark. That's not unreasonable. Okay. So following the visit at the cousin's house, Danette and Jeanette walked to their older sister's house, and they only stayed there for about 15 minutes. This time they asked their sister to walk back with them, but she declined as she had recently given birth. After their disappearance, family members did admit that they thought it was strange that the twins asked multiple people to walk back home with them that day. Yeah, that that is... I mean, I wouldn't know their pattern to know that they deviated from it, but that does sound odd. Agree. It does sound like they were scared of something, I feel like. Right. Definitely. So the twins started the walk, and on the way, they stopped at a local gas station to pick up chips, candy, and soda. The clerk that day, Gloria, knew the twins, and she stated afterward that she did not notice anything odd about their behavior that night. Gloria stated that she had been making conversation with the twins and that at one point she looked away for a while and then the twins were just gone after that. Like she didn't notice, but they left apparently. And she was actually the last person to see Danette and Jeanette that we know of. So I have here titled this section investigation, but there really wasn't much of one. Honestly, right, of course. that doesn't surprise me. It sucks, but we're all thinking it. They're black girls. Yeah. yeah. And especially like this was in 1990. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a common thing that I heard when people were talking about this case. More recent, like sheriffs from the county admit that that likely very very well could have played a role into why there was so little of an investigation for two missing teenage girls. Augusta itself is also very much split. I mean, a lot of cities are like this, but in Augusta, it's 
there's such a sharp divide between like the wealthiest of the wealthy. You have like the masters there, which is such like just a wealthy bougie thing that happens. Yeah. And then you have like these neighborhoods that are just poverty stricken. Um, so right. there's just a really big divide there and they just happen to be on the side that is riddled with poverty. Uh, they didn't – they were not rich. They did not come from wealthy families and um, that also probably played a pretty large role. I'm sure if, if you know, some twin girls were missing from the other side of Augusta, uh, this would have been different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So once Danette and Jeanette's family realized that the girls were missing, they attempted to report it, but they were told that they had to wait 24 hours before making a report. When the family finally got in contact with the original investigator, whose name is Detective Jim Ship, he told the family straight up they probably just ran away. So the girls were very quickly labeled runaways, and they were not really given any attention by the police. I fucking hate that. Mm -hmm. Like, I say this all the time, but it's like, I'd rather you waste your supplies, your people looking for somebody than just not even. No, I agree. Like, you can't assume that. You just can't. They just assume runaways, and then these people never get found. I feel like, I mean... We have the bias of, you know, having a podcast where we talk about it. So we clearly are seeing this more than like the average person, I suppose. But to the extent where like the cases we're covering, almost all of them, they say this is just a runaway. It's like, well, surprise, here we are, however many years down the line, and they weren't a runaway. And you have egg on your face. And, you know, like, I think it would be a valuable use of resources to actually at least put some time into runaway cases. Yeah, I agree. Just in case they aren't. Mm-hmm. There's also very little known about the original police investigation, and that's because the original police file was reportedly lost. Um, um Yeah. What is known is that the original investigation was closed around the time that the girls turned 17. In 1991, what's up for debate is why the case was closed. This is common in this case, but there's a lot of different things that are said by different people. And so it's kind of hard to parse through that information and figure out what the actual truth is because there's a lot of voices here. So the twins' mother states that she was told by police that since the girls were 17, they had reached an age at which they could not be legally forced to come home if they were found. So the case was just closed? That, I don't think so. I don't understand the reasoning there. Oh, we can't force them to come home if we find them. So we're just going to stop looking. Like, you that's not... Need to make sure they're safe. That's not feasible. That's not... I... I... Mm-mm. The original investigator maintains that he was told by a juvenile officer that the girls had been found, which then led to the case being closed and the girls being removed from the National Registry of Missing Children. So, that like, is just, what the hell? He just wasn't going to follow up at all? Like, yeah, not going to contact anyone? Just like, oh, yeah, it's solved. Oh, yeah, they're cool. Fine. Take your word. Like, no. 
I just, like, do your due diligence. It's like barely even just due diligence. It's like literally make one phone call. No, it's legit negligence. Like it's not doing that is negligent. I agree. Yeah. Dereliction of duty. I feel like it's also, I just think this could have been really different if these were two like rich white girls. Mm -hmm. They would have been looking for them from the jump, you know? No, you bet your ass that phone call would have been made. Um, There are also several errors on the original police reports, the little that we have of them including the misspelling of their last name. They misspelled it Millbrooks instead of Millbrook, as well as misspelling Jeanette's middle name. This is also kind of where I'm saying, like, there's multiple things from multiple people, multiple, like, pretty valid sources (laughs) saying things that are slightly different. So it's kind of hard to figure out what was real. But their mother also stated that, like, two years after they disappeared – Um, She got a call from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children saying that someone had reported the twins were found, which is probably when they were removed. So she and the family kind of assumes that obviously the NCMEC, which is National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, are not going to just take a tip, an anonymous tip, and say like, okay, yeah, that's valid like they usually will check in with police and authorities so um that's when they believe that detective ship told the ncmec that the twins had been found and that's kind of validated by the earlier thing i said which is that the detective took someone else's report and just kind of ran with it yeah essentially it was reported to the family that they were found when they weren't A former prosecutor and a retired detective from, this is when the Oxygen series comes in, that was done on the case. They were able to talk to Detective Ship personally and hear his side of the story, though he did not want to be filmed. According to the former prosecutor who interviewed him, Ship stated that the girls were known around the town, that the family was known and that he just assumed they were runaways due to their reputation. Their reputation shouldn't matter. Yeah, so that part makes me so angry because even kids who have like a quote-unquote reputation, like they can go missing too. Like they are probably more likely, more likely. to be the victim. Yeah, you could 100% argue that. So it just pisses me off, you know, just to hear agreed. that. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. But beyond that, like, the girls never had any issues with the law. Like, they were never reported to get in trouble at school. There was, like, one single incident that happened where it was, like, the one of the twins was being bullied and the other twin, like, stuck up for her sister. And that was literally, like, it. <laughs> so I don't know where they they got this, like, reputation from. You know, good for her for step step pen up for her sister. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to say the thing that I think we're all thinking? What about how she they got a reputation? It's race. It's when a white girl stands up for herself. They're like, she's so brave, and a black girl, same age, stands up for herself, does the exact same thing, same interaction. Well, she's a little confrontational, you know, and and there's just a completely different spin on it. Mm-hmm. completely due to that um so yeah i think that could be maybe not the whole explanation but a good chunk of like why they would be put in that category yeah there was no history of them ever running away from home before 
Not to mention the fact that they kept asking people if they could walk home with them. Like, they kept trying to get people to walk home with them. Why would they do that if they were trying to run away? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No. Like, that makes zero sense. So, I don't know. Detective Ship also claims that he had spoken to the family about once a week or every other week in the year following the twins' disappearance, but Louise, their mother, disputes this and says he probably called, like, two times total. That's a lot. Like, to say that you called that much, like, that's a lot. Yeah. I agree. And then to be like, no, he only called me twice. Like, that is, oh my. And then his response is horrific because according to the former prosecutor that was interviewing him, his response was, I don't know how to explain it other than maybe her IQ. Uh, like, are you joking? Can we just, like, oh my god. Why? I know. Why do people have to be like that? thing to say. Yeah. That's just fucking unnecessary and rude. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just horrible. And then he did admit to calling the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. He stated that in his mind the case was closed. So So you just get to decide that, sir? You just woke up one day and was like, oh, it's closed. I decided it. Source, it came to him in a dream. Like, come on. There's no... That's ridiculous that he can just unilaterally decide that a case is closed like that. People like that should not be in power at all. No, I agree. Oh, my God. Hard agree. So the case was reopened in 2013, about 22 years after it had been closed. It did come after a lot of pressure from the family to reopen the case. Members of the family would persistently call the sheriff's office over the years asking where the twins were. Hell yeah. In more recent years, the sheriff of the county was quoted as saying, quote, We think a terrible injustice has been done for the last 20 years. There was no follow-up or nothing. The case was closed, but it was based on an anonymous person saying, Hey, we saw them. They're okay. In this what day and age, hell? this wouldn't happen. No, it wouldn't. I just can't believe how many shitty things happened in this investigation. It's crazy. There wasn't. Like, there was nothing. No one no, did anything. No. They basically just, like, looked the other way. Yeah, essentially. Basically. The current investigating agency is still the Richmond County Sheriff's Office. In 2017, it was revealed that the Sheriff's Office met with the Millbrook family to talk about the case and to collect DNA samples from the family. As of 2019, it's unclear if the case is still being investigated. Um, There is some more information from 2019 but after that like in more recent years uh, I haven't seen anything but I'll get into more of the oxygen stuff a little later so to give a little bit of background for this next part Danette and Jeanette's mom did state that their dad John Millbrook had been physically abusive to her um, even while she was pregnant with the twins She got out of the relationship because she was concerned that he would start aiming his violence toward them. She did admit that the twins seemed to be scared of their dad. John reportedly did not want anything to do with the investigation, and he told a family member that if the cops came looking for him to talk about the girls, to tell them that he was dead. That's fucking sketchy. Yeah. How about at that point you just, I don't know, acknowledge that you had nothing to do with it, and see if you can provide any information that can lead to the safe, that they can find your kids safely. Like, why? Why? 
So the Fall Line, a pretty well-known true crime podcast, has covered this case and attempted to help with some sort of investigation. One of the podcast hosts did attempt to contact Jim Ship and see if he remembered any details about the case. Ship responded with, yeah, I remember those two runaways. The host then asked if he thought the twins were still alive, and he responded with, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. And the host remembers Ship laughing at this point and saying, if you find two dead twins, you let me know. What? What the f- That's horrible. I'm like, I, I'm hoping some of this is like not real or exaggerated. I, I don't have his recordings, but like the, it, yeah. what I've heard, everything I've heard from this guy is just horrible. So he really sounds like a piece of shit. Yeah, that's like diabolical. There are some potential connections um, that have kind of popped up over the years. So one is Joseph Patrick Washington. He was active in the girls' neighborhood, and some think that he could have been involved in their disappearance. He was sentenced to 17 consecutive life sentences in 1995 for numerous criminal convictions associated with abductions and sexual assaults of five women, three of whom survived. Okay, now he's a piece of shit. Yeah, no hesitation there. He is. He had even abducted another woman in a parking lot nearby the gas station that the girls were last seen at. So he was right in that area. His victims were young black women with short hair. He was facing the death penalty for the murder of Marilyn Denise Kelly and was suspected in another murder case, but he ended up dying in 1999 before the trial began. And this was also before their case was reopened, so he never was able to be investigated. That's very Mm. unfortunate. Mm -hmm. That happens every now and then in these cases where they find out, you know, who really did it. Like, uh, I'm thinking about the the Beatrice Six, where they had these false convictions. And by the time the technology caught up to them and they were able to actually identify who did it, he was dead. And uh, there's no justice there. You know, and it, that's it's a very unsatisfying ending for all involved. It just sucks. Yeah, because this does seem like a pretty plausible, but obviously, like, I don't want to just go blaming random people and I'm not an investigator or anything like that. But is similar. What's the word I'm looking for? Like type. Mm-hmm. They were young black women. Uh, Some other people do suspect the father of the girls had something to do with their disappearance. Faultline, the podcast that really revived this case, wrote to a couple of people close to the family. As we've already discussed, uh, the dad was just not the best person. He did have convictions. He was friends with a couple of individuals who were convicted of murder, and he did participate in those murders to a certain degree. He was arrested for hiding a body in one of those convictions. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So one of the hosts wrote to Ernest Fawns, who was one of the father's friends who was in jail. And they got back a letter that states, you've asked a few questions in which I don't mind answering, but what if I told you that I know where you might find them? 
Can you help me? As you may already know, I've been incarcerated over 22 years and I just came up for parole. So if I help you, can you help me? Thanks in advance for your time. And I look forward to your rapid reply. So uh, very much like, mm. um, it seems transactional. Looking for help. Yeah. yeah. If, if you just out of the goodness of your heart wanted to do the good thing, you wouldn't ask for anything in return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why I take a lot of um, what he says with a little bit of a grain of salt, uh, but I'll get into it. So the podcasters did both want to write back, but obviously they knew that if anyone could be held accountable for the disappearance of the girls, they didn't really want to get into the mix and essentially fuck things up. So they immediately agreed to turn the letter over to the police, um, and they went a couple years without hearing anything. From the police mm-hmm. about the letter. When the Oxygen series came out and they had the former prosecutor and retired detective around, um, both of them wanted to talk to Ernest Bonds and he did agree to talk with them over the phone. They actually went to his daughter's house and waited for his phone call to his daughter, but several hours passed and it never came. And after A couple more hours, they finally got out of the daughter that her dad had told her the girls were not alive, um, that he knew where they were buried and who murdered them. She said that she didn't hear much else because she didn't want to know any more information. The next day, they were able to get on the phone with him, and his story was that the night the girls disappeared, after they stopped at the gas station, they were picked up and went to their father's house. And for context, Ernest was only 12 at the time of all this, so he was young. He says that one of the twins started to drink and smoke weed. There were about eight or nine men in the house at the time, and some of them started to take advantage of her. The other twins saw this and stood up for her sister, but when she did, she was hit by one of the men, And Ernest says that he saw her head crack open. Oh, my gosh. And after that happened, the men were told to leave the house, and he believes because of this that they're both not alive. The former prosecutor was pretty hesitant to believe his story. The retired detective thought it could be authentic. They ended up bringing it to the police. After new investigators were assigned to the case, they ended up talking to Ernest and kind of informed them that they believe that while certain parts of his story they believe to be true and they could corroborate, uh, they think that he's describing a different double murder. I mean, maybe. You just see so many that you get them confused. That's what I'm saying. Like, that, that blew my mind. Like, either that is what actually happened and he is describing their their mar- their murder or i just can't believe that he's mixing them up because he's seen several that's ugh, crazy so to talk a little bit about more recent years she had sisters um they came from a big family her sister right now is still this this article that i got this next information from is from 2023. She's still searching after over 30 years for her sisters. She said that she became 
like the primary person who like kept going with this because she just saw her mom suffer so much from it and she didn't want to see her continue mm-hmm. to suffer. Right. She said, it hurt every day. I had to see my mom upset and crying. It's been 33 years and we're still going through it right now. And it is bad because you start to see other people, families going through it, and then some of the little ones get found, but mine still haven't. And so she talks to anyone and everyone that she can about the case. She says, I talk about it to people to let people know, even though they don't know what their faces looked like. I want people to know what happened to my family. So Shanta runs the Facebook page titled Missing Danette and Jeanette Milbrook, where she shares information and updates in her sister's case. There is also a local billboard that directs people to themilbrooktwins.com, where they can submit tips. There is an $11,000 reward for information that helps solve the case. According to Shantae, on the day of their disappearance, Danette was wearing white jeans with a white Mickey Mouse shirt, and Jeanette was wearing a khaki skirt and a white turtleneck. Both girls have brown eyes and had short Jerry-style curls in their hair at the time of their disappearance. They would be 49 years old today. Anyone with information can contact the Richmond County Police Department dispatch at the non-emergency line at 706-821-1080 or the Criminal Investigations Division at 706-821-1020. And that's it. That's all the information for these two poor girls who disappeared 30-something years ago. That's just awful. Wow. That's what a terrible case. I mean, at every turn, just dismissed, just they're just runaways. It's just a fake tip, but it's also reliable enough for me to close the case. And we want to take this testimony from this guy who thinks he might have witnessed it, but also we don't really buy what he says. You know, like it just no good progress ever made in this case. No Mm -hmm. justice. For None. either of these girls. None. Absolutely. None. And the only reason that they even have a fighting chance to get justice is because of their sister. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their family has been like really continuing to push the case. Her whole family, sorry. That's just like it this is insane to me. Yeah, it just seems pretty clear to me that it probably wasn't a runaway situation. Um No, I don't think so. And I feel like if they looked into it and even just talked to people who said, oh, they were trying to get me to walk with them. They were suspicious of this, like, vehicle. They told their mom they were scared of, like, the a van was following them. Like, I feel like if they just literally took the time to do the, the easy part of the job and, like, canvas and talk mm-hmm. to people for two seconds, then they would come to the conclu- conclusion that, it, oh, it probably wasn't a runaway case. And then I think this investigator – determined it was because he just assumed it was and then now he's just like dug himself into this hole he doesn't want to get out of like now he's just like oh because i labeled it in a a runaway he doesn't want to admit that he fucked up yep he won't he won't fall on his sword he just no no just double down double down and ego too big let these two kids just be missing forever yeah yeah i hate i hate this 
so much. I mean, it's so frustrating that like people like that find their way into law enforcement. Like, no, like, what are you doing? The reality. No, you're quite literally a detective. Like these if- girls deserve justice. Like, and you just yeah. sat back and you're like, oh, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, that doesn't. It's the worst job to take if you don't want to put in the effort and have the empathy that is necessary to like resolve cases like this. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for researching. I appreciate your research as always. Very thorough, carefully done. What a unresolved. I know. I'm baffling really is a good tough. word for it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have information on uh, these two missing girls as well on our Instagram page in the announcement post for this episode. So head over to at Small Time Mysteries Pod and check on that. We'll have pictures of both of them. And mm-hmm. if I can get them, age progressions. They're at the um, bottom. I put them perfect. The okay. I didn't see them. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't scroll all the way down. Um, so I will include those as well. So we have an idea of what they looked like at the time they went missing and what they would look like now. Um, so if you live in that area, you can um, maybe keep a lookout. Maybe they're not in the area anymore. So maybe if you live anywhere, you can keep a lookout. We'll also be posting our highlighted missing person at Small Time Mysteries Pod. So if you live in that area, check that out. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of Small Time Mysteries Pod. Thank you. Come spiral with us next week. Bye. Bye. None of us wanted to end that one. We just all kept going. <laughs> yes.